Hey, Keurig coffee drinkers. Need a cold coffee with a bold flavor? Dunkin' Cold K-Cup pods were specially crafted for cold coffee. Brew over ice straight out of the Keurig coffee maker for smooth, delicious Dunkin' taste you know and love. Find your next Dunkin' Cold coffee in the roasted coffee aisle. Happy New Year and good Monday morning to you. Our top story, a remarkable sight playing out at the Vatican this morning. Thousands lining up to honor Pope Emeritus Benedict. It's January 2nd. This is Today. Paying respects, Benedict XVI now lying in state at St. Peter's Basilica. A long line of mourners forming to remember him and his impact on the Catholic Church. We'll take you there live. Road to recovery, three police officers ambushed in a New Year's Eve machete attack near Times Square, released from the hospital. The FBI now investigating as a possible incident of terrorism. Just ahead, what we're learning about the 19-year-old suspect and the tip from his own family that put him on law enforcement's radar weeks ago. Millions of Americans returning from the holidays. Some Southwest passengers still stranded after the airline's Christmas week meltdown as severe weather from coast to coast, including major flooding in parts of California, takes a toll on travelers. We have your full forecast. Speaking out, the parents of the suspect in those murders of four college students in Idaho, releasing their first statement since the arrest. We have fully cooperated with law enforcement agencies in an attempt to seek the truth. But this morning, still more questions than answers in the mysterious case. We'll have complete coverage. Breaking overnight, Oscar-nominated actor and Marvel star Jeremy Renner in critical condition after an accident while plowing snow. The very latest just ahead. Today, Monday, January 2nd, 2023. From NBC News, this is Today with Savannah Guthrie and Hoda Kotb. Live from Studio 1A in Rockefeller Plaza. Good morning and welcome to today. Thank you for joining us on this first Monday of the new year. I'm Chanel Jones alongside Jacob Soberoff. Savannah and Hoda are back tomorrow morning. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Did you have a good one? I had a great one. Me too. But I'm now it's like, with a little baby. Uh, oh, that's right. Well, now we're back on the horse. We're Let's here. get going. Yeah, and we have a lot to get to this morning. A little later, we will honor the life of Barbara Walters, who, of course, meant so much to this broadcast as today's first female co-anchor back in 1974. We're going to take a closer look at her life, including her groundbreaking time right here on this broadcast. But we begin with a live look at the Vatican, where mourners are gathering at St. Peter's to pay respects to Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. His body lying in state there until Thursday's funeral, led by his successor, Pope Francis. NBC's Molly Hunter is at the Vatican with more. Molly, good morning. Chanel, good morning to you. Now, early this morning, the body of late Pope Benedict XVI was moved to St. Peter's Basilica. And you can see these huge crowds behind me. The line is snaking through. Now, it is moving quite quickly. Roman authorities estimate some 30,000 people a day are going to try to get inside to pay their final respects before Thursday's funeral. This morning, hundreds lining up outside St. Peter's Basilica to pay their final respects to the late Pope Benedict XVI. New pictures showing Benedict lying in state inside the basilica, where his body will remain until Thursday's funeral. 
On Sunday, Benedict's body lay at rest in the Vatican City Monastery he called home for the last decade and where he died early Saturday morning at the age of 95. Pope Francis will preside over his predecessor's funeral in St. Peter's Square, a situation that hasn't happened in more than 600 years. In his first Mass of the New Year, Francis paying tribute to a man who held a wildly different worldview expressing gratitude, urging the faithful to join together with one heart and one soul. Benedict's complicated legacy, roiled by the Catholic Church's massive sex abuse scandal, a serious theologian, a powerful intellectual, a traditionalist who broke with centuries of tradition by retiring in 2013. I think it was widely understood that Pope Francis would not consider retirement uh, until his predecessor, Pope Benedict XVI, had died. Uh, now that that has happened, you know, it, it's an open uh, guess as to what happens. Filippo Toso traveled from Venice on an overnight train to be one of the first in line. During his papacy, Filippo saw Benedict more than a dozen times. Christ uh, was the person he loved more in his life, uh, and now he, he is with him. And two and a half hours later, Filippo emerged. It was like uh, a, a meeting uh, with a, a friend and it, uh, it touched my heart. Now, Filippo says it was incredibly emotional to be inside. And actually, once you get inside St. Peter's Basilica, you only have about 20 to 30 seconds to say your final prayers. Now, guys, over the weekend, a spiritual testament was published. It's something that Benedict penned back in 2006. And in it, he asks for forgiveness and encourages believers to stand firm in the faith. Chanel? All right, Molly Hunter at the Vatican. Thank you. Also this morning, we're learning more about a frightening New Year's Eve machete attack on three police officers near Times Square here in New York City. The suspect is a 19-year-old from Maine who apparently expressed militant support for Islam. NBC's Kathy Park has the very latest. Kathy, good morning to you. Jacob, good morning to you. It certainly was a terrifying moment here in Times Square, one of the biggest celebrations in the world on New Year's Eve. But fortunately, all of the officers are out of the hospital this morning. But now officials are zeroing in on the suspect who was already on law enforcement's radar. Just two hours before the New Year's Eve countdown, chaos near Times Square after police see a man attack three officers with a machete. Revelers capturing the panic as it unfolded. They shot right in front of us. Yeah, it was crazy. It was madness. Law enforcement sources telling NBC News the suspect is 19-year-old Trevor Bickford of Maine. Officials say he struck two officers in the head with this large knife before he was shot in the shoulder by one of them and taken into custody. Bickford seen here a short time later arriving at the hospital. One officer, an eight-year veteran, suffered a laceration, laceration to the head. The second officer who graduated the police academy on Friday was also struck in the head, resulting in a skull fracture and large laceration. All three officers have been released from the hospital. That rookie cop identified as Paul Casalino. And he was in good spirits. Uh, he understood uh, that his role saved lives of New Yorkers today. Law enforcement officials tell NBC News Bickford arrived in New York City by Amtrak on Thursday adding he had a backpack that included personal writings, terrorist propaganda, a pocket knife, and $200 in cash. From his hospital bed this weekend, authorities say he made a pro-jihadi statement. Just weeks ago, law enforcement officials say federal agents in Maine interviewed Bickford after a relative warned he had been expressing revolutionary support for Islam. 
On Sunday, the FBI tells NBC News agents went to Bickford's family home in Maine. And officials say they also got a hold of the suspect's diary. And in that diary, he talks about being prepared to die in the attack, even talking about where he wanted to be buried. Police believe he acted alone, so there's no longer a threat. Mm. Jacob? We're pulling for those officers. Kathy, thank you. Meantime, it's a busy travel day for millions of Americans, and frustrations are already high. Airports and highways facing a post-holiday surge on the heels of last week's mass cancellations, with Southwest Airlines now saying its operations have returned to normal. Dylan is standing by with the forecast and its impact on the holiday travel rush. But first, NBC's Blaine Alexander joins us from Atlanta's Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport. Good morning to you, Blaine. Well, Chanel, good morning to you. You can already see this growing line behind me at the Southwest ticket counter. This morning, the airline is apologizing to its customers for the nightmare of last week and promising to continue to get back on schedule. The good news is they're largely there, just about 133 cancellations so far today. And that's crucial ahead of a very busy travel day ahead. With 2023 now officially underway, this morning, millions of Americans are heading home from the holidays, filling the skies and the roads on one of the busiest travel days of the year. The final bookend on a holiday season that was expected to see nearly 113 million travelers. It comes as the nation's biggest domestic carrier, Southwest Airlines, is still recovering from an unprecedented travel meltdown, canceling more than 15,000 flights during the holiday week, leaving thousands of passengers stranded and mountains of luggage unclaimed. Over the weekend, in a message to employees, Southwest CEO Bob Jordan promised the company will move forward with lessons learned, adding there will be immediate work to understand what happened. Now, even as the airline is back to normal operations, industry experts say the ripple effects are far from over. There are still thousands and thousands of travelers on Southwest who had their flights canceled and who need to be rebooked, reaccommodated. And so as a result, you are seeing Southwest flights going out extremely full. Experts say if you are heading to the airport today, expect a crowd. Air travel is up 14 percent over last holiday season. To help keep your travel plans on track, experts say get to the airport early. Try not to check luggage. And if you do, consider attaching a GPS tracker to the bag so you can monitor where it ends up. And finally, take a picture of the inside of your luggage to have proof for reimbursement in case your bag goes missing. And just a note for the passengers who were caught in the midst of that travel mess last week. Of course, Southwest has promised to reimburse its passengers for things like hotel fees and meals while they were stranded. You can submit those receipts online. But there's another option as well. Experts say that you should check with the credit card company that you use to book your initial flight. Depending on the travel insurance or the flight protections there, you could also be entitled to some sort of reimbursement. Chanel. All right, Blaine, thank you. Guys, another impact on travel, severe weather. This morning, parts in Northern California are underwater after a powerful storm slammed the region with heavy rain and flooding. Dozens of drivers had to be rescued after they were stranded by the floodwaters. At least one person has died and thousands of people were left without power. We're going to bring in Dylan now for more on the forecast. Dylan, Happy New Year. 
Happy New Year, guys. Yeah, California, some areas have picked up more than 10 inches of rain, which is a lot for that part of the country. Want to show you the airports because there are a lot of spots where we could see some delays because of weather. Minneapolis, Chicago, Kansas City, right down into Dallas and Houston. Big storm system moving through the middle of the country. It's leaving the Rockies. So even back through Salt Lake City and Denver, we could see uh, some delays at the airports there as well. So the snowy side of the system is the northern side up across uh, parts of Wyoming and to South Dakota, Nebraska, over into Minnesota, too parts of Iowa and Des Moines, just to the northwest of there, we could see uh, some significant snow, but also blowing snow. So blizzard-like conditions are possible. Then on the warmer side of the storm system, we have a chance of severe storms today, especially across Arkansas, down into northwestern Louisiana and parts of eastern Texas, too. Large hail is a possibility, but the biggest threat will be for damaging wind gusts and also isolated tornadoes. This is going to move eastward as we go through the day today. So snow through the Midwest and also that rain will move to the east and then this will eventually uh, reach the East Coast as we go into Tuesday night and Wednesday. Chanel. All right, Dylan, thank you. Turning now to new concerns over COVID. Much of the focus on China three years after the first case was identified there. After loosening restrictions, the company is grappling with an alarming surge of infections. And it's led some nations, including the U.S., to reimpose testing requirements for travelers. NBC's Asia correspondent Janice Mackey Freyer is in Beijing. Good morning to you. Chanel, good morning. As China begins to reopen, streets in cities like Beijing are getting busy again. But sadly, so too are the hospitals, with China's own experts bracing for 800 million people to be infected with COVID by spring and infections in rural areas yet to peak. This morning, China is being overwhelmed by a massive COVID surge. Hospital emergency rooms packed with patients who are mostly older, weak and struggling. Resources appearing to be stretched so thin, the sick often lying on lawn chairs instead of hospital beds. They have beds in the lobby, near the elevators, in the hallways. They're running out of places to put people. The size and scope of COVID infections remains unclear here because of little credible information and the way China's government counts COVID deaths. There are too many, says this funeral provider, about demand. Near one hospital, we've seen empty caskets stacked in an alley. Officially, China has recorded only 18 COVID deaths during the past month. In the hospital, we, we are a little bit suspicious. We see a lot of patient with complication. We know that the ICU in other hospitals are full of patients. COVID has been barreling through the country for weeks. After widespread protests in November over lockdowns and testing, China abruptly dropped its tough zero COVID rules in December. Border restrictions imposed nearly three years ago are set to be lifted next week. The whiplash changes here have seen cities go from harsh lockdowns to jammed streets on New Year's Eve as people begin to recover from COVID and hope the country's economy does too. Chinese President Xi Jinping acknowledging the pandemic's toll during an annual speech. It has not been an easy journey for anyone, he said. Yet the lack of data out of China has scientists elsewhere guessing about new and dangerous COVID variants. 
The CDC is seeing a sharp rise in U.S. cases uh, of the XBB variant. Where it's coming from still isn't clear, but the U.S. and other countries are now putting restrictions on travelers coming from China, wanting them to show a negative COVID test. And despite a lot of criticism of that move in Chinese state media here, it's exactly what China requires of travelers to come here. Mm. Chanel? All right, Janice, thank you. So much more to get to this morning, including growing tributes to a pioneer and a trailblazer in television news, Barbara Walters. The iconic journalist and the first female co-host of Today died on Friday at the age of 93. NBC's Stephanie Gosk is here with a look back at Barbara Walters' groundbreaking life and legacy. Steph, good morning. Good morning, Jacob. You know, Barbara Walters passed away peacefully at home, surrounded by loved ones, an absolute force on television for more than 50 years. She paved the way for generations of women journalists like myself and others in this business in the once very male-dominated industry. Trailblazing, pioneering, legendary. Those are just some of the words being used to describe Barbara Walters, who spent half a century breaking news and breaking barriers in media. And I'm Barbara Walters in the NBC News Center. Walters began her iconic career at Today in 1961, first as the show's only female writer and producer. There had been the feeling of women couldn't do the news, nobody would take them seriously. Then in 1974, she was promoted to co-anchor, the first woman in the show's history to hold that job. I went to China uh, for the Today Show. I did interviews with presidential candidates. I went to the conventions so that little by little people could see here is a woman doing the same thing the men are doing, and it's okay. Two years later, Walter's breaking another barrier when ABC made her the first woman to anchor a network evening news broadcast with a then unprecedented million-dollar contract. Those days, nobody thought it was possible. Eventually, Walter's went on to co-anchor 2020 for 25 years conducting hundreds of wide-ranging interviews with newsmakers and celebrities for her famous Barbara Walters specials. She later created and starred in the talk show The View, leaving the program in 2014 after 17 years. And we all proudly stand on your shoulders, Barbara Walters. At the time, more than two dozen women journalists honored Walters for paving the way. This is my legacy. These are my legacy. And I thank you all of you. Over the weekend, Savannah writing, thank you, Barbara, you showed the way, you made it possible for the rest of us. And Hoda noting, she was the first. She blazed the trail. She kicked the door down so we could walk through. A fact that Barbara Walters was proud of. Every woman on the Today Show is now a co-host. That's my legacy. Over the weekend, President Biden also paying tribute, tweeting, Walters' legacy will continue as an inspiration for all journalists. Walters is survived by her daughter, Jacqueline, and, of course, all of us who have mm-hmm. an enormous debt of gratitude for everything she did. Well, it's we- like Oprah just said, we all stand on her shoulders, no question about it. I was just saying to you that Oprah said in one of her first auditions, she went in thinking about, guess who, Barbara oh, Walters. Oh, yeah, and how to be Barbara Walters. And what everyone realizes is that you can't be Barbara Walters. Right, but what a trail. Absolutely. All right, we'll have, Thanks, certainly have much more um, on her life coming up in just a bit. Thank you. 
We sure will. All right. Well, in our next hour, as I mentioned, we're going to take a closer look at Walter's many iconic moments right here on today. But first, let's turn back over to Dylan for the rest of your forecast. Is it calmer today? The last time I saw you, it was nuts. It was <laughs> nuts. It's still kind of pretty nutty across the country, especially this time around, right through the middle of the country. Severe storms down into Arkansas and Texas, but snow and ice on the northern side of it. That will mostly impact the northern plains and the upper Midwest as we go through this afternoon. And that's your latest forecast. All right, Dylan, thank you. Still ahead, new details on the suspect finally arrested in that quadruple murder in Idaho as his family speaks out for the first time. Gotti Schwartz is in Moscow for us. That's right. Hear what the father of this suspect said about his cross-country road trip with his son that happened just a few weeks ago. That's coming up right after the break. Nominee and Marvel star Jeremy Renner in critical condition after what's being described as a snowplow accident in Nevada. We're going to have the latest. But first, this is Today on NBC. In life, we're often driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to find candidates isn't to search. It's to match with Indeed. Indeed's a matching and hiring platform used by over 300 million global monthly users, according to Indeed data. Need quality candidates fast? Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging. And you'll connect with candidates in no time. And it's not just faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And here's the best part. Listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit, giving your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash today. Just go to Indeed.com slash today right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash today. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hi, I'm Nick Friedman. And I'm Lee Alec Murray. And this is The Anime Effect. We're a brand new podcast breaking down the anime and fandom news you care about, revealing just how powerful the effect of anime really is. Every week, we're breaking down the latest anime community developments and what it means for us fans. But we won't stop at just anime. We'll dig into other fandoms we can't get enough of and invite guests we know you'll recognize to join in the discussion. Whether you're a dedicated anime fan or a casual viewer, we want you to experience the anime effect. Tune into The Anime Effect starting February 16th. The Anime Effect is brought to you by Crunchyroll and Sony Music Entertainment. Watch complete episodes on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel or listen wherever you get your podcasts. Back at 7.30 on a Monday morning, look at that crowd. The 2nd of January, 2023, still a few days left to enjoy that beautiful Christmas tree behind all of these folks across the street. It was packed earlier, but I'm surprised there's still a lot of people out. Respect to them. Respect to the tree for still looking so beautiful, even after the holiday. Exactly. Not going to pack it up and go home. Yes. All right. We'll go out there and say hi to them coming up in just a bit. Let's start this half hour, though, with a check of your 730 headlines. The search is on this morning for at least two dozen inmates who escaped a prison in Juarez, Mexico, across the border from El Paso, Texas. The jailbreak happened yesterday after gunmen in armored vehicles attacked the prison. At least 10 guards and four inmates were killed. 13 others were injured. Soldiers and state police regained control of the prison later in the day. Authorities in the area have been placed on maximum alert. Some frightening moments at an Orlando amusement park this weekend when sparks started flying from a Ferris wheel. The ride lost power, leaving more than 60 people stuck in those little pods 
for hours. Firefighters were called to the scene and managed to get everybody out safely. No word yet on what caused that ride to malfunction. All right, guys, uh, taking a turn now to the murder mystery in Idaho that has dominated the headlines for more than seven weeks now. On Friday, authorities finally arrested a suspect in the killings of four college students 2,500 miles away in Pennsylvania. And this morning, we're learning more about him as his family breaks their silence. NBC's Gotti Schwartz is in Moscow, Idaho, with the very latest. Gotti, good morning. Hey, good morning, guys. Yeah, the lawyer for this suspect says his client will not be fighting extradition, which means we could see him brought back here to Idaho uh, within the next 24, 48 hours, possibly tomorrow night, possibly Wednesday, to face four counts of murders for this horrific crime. With the suspect finally in custody after a seven-week manhunt, the search for justice is only beginning. Detectives arrested 28-year-old Brian Christopher Koberger. Early Friday, authorities took Koberger into custody at his parents' home in northeastern Pennsylvania on suspicion of the murder of four college students in Moscow, Idaho. After graduating from DeSales University, Koberger enrolled in a doctoral program in criminal justice at Washington State University, just miles from the University of Idaho campus and the scene of the murders. He's being held in Pennsylvania, where his public defender says Koberger was shocked by the arrest. He believes he will be exonerated. The lawyer reading a statement from Koberger's family. We have fully cooperated with law enforcement agencies in an attempt to seek the truth and promote his presumption of innocence. He confirmed that Koberger's father flew to Washington state to meet his son and made the cross-country road trip back to Pennsylvania with him. The father telling him he didn't notice anything different about his son. Everything was ordinary uh, and he saw nothing unusual about it. Police seized a white Hyundai Elantra at Koberger's parents' home in Pennsylvania, the same model they say was seen near the crime scene around the time of the attack. Austin Morrison says Koberger was a teaching assistant in a criminal justice class he took at Washington State. Just rather quiet, very off to the side, standoffish. He sat in the class, didn't do a whole lot. Two law enforcement sources familiar with the investigation told NBC News that detectives used genetic genealogy to track down the suspect. It broadens the search. Instead of just looking for that one person in the database or maybe their very close relatives, we now are looking for second, third, fourth cousins and beyond. The team that did this work had a very difficult task. Now, once Koberger is back here in Idaho to face a judge, authorities are expected to unseal a probable cause statement. And in that probable cause statement, we are likely to learn a lot of what investigators have been keeping very close to their chest, specifically how Koberger was caught. But some mysteries still remain in this case. One of them, the motive, and the other, if a murder weapon has yet to be recovered. Back to you. All right, so a lot of questions there. Gotti, thank you. Yeah, Gotti, thanks. You guys, coming up, you are not going to believe this. She has been called the most damaging spy you've never heard of. A top analyst at the Pentagon who handed over U.S. military secrets to Cuba for years. Andrea Mitchell has this absolutely jaw-dropping story, and while she'll soon be released from prison. Hmm, the first new this morning, Avengers star Jeremy Renner in critical condition this morning after an accident while plowing snow. We'll have the very latest details right after this. We are back at 739 with stunning news overnight involving an Oscar-nominated star. We're talking about Jeremy Renner, best known for his role in the Marvel movies. He's been hospitalized with very serious injuries after a snowplow accident. NBC's Kristen Dahlgren has that story. Good morning, Kristen. 
Good morning, guys. Yeah, this morning we're learning more about this accident, which appears to be the result of a huge storm hitting the Sierra, causing dangerous conditions for many now, including Jeremy Renner, who we're told is in a Reno area hospital in critical but stable condition. It's a beautiful morning walk. Avengers star Jeremy Renner, often seen on his Instagram enjoying winter weather at what he called his happy place, Lake Tahoe, Nevada. But today, the two-time Oscar nominee's love of the outdoors may have landed him in the hospital. Washoe County, Nevada, Renner's home for the past seven years, was hit with heavy snowfall in a New Year's Eve storm. In a statement, Renner's rep confirming to NBC News overnight that Jeremy is in critical but stable condition, with injuries suffered after experiencing a weather-related accident while plowing snow. While it's not clear exactly what happened or what type of injuries he sustained, the incident was serious enough that authorities say a rescue flight was needed to get him to the hospital. Care flight is en route, but unknown if they can land in feet of snow. Although Renner shot to Hollywood stardom after the Hurt Locker in 2008 and later as superhero Hawkeye in the wildly popular and successful Marvel movie franchise, he still liked getting his hands dirty with construction and renovation projects. Often seen on social media operating heavy machinery like this massive snowplow. And driving his Jeep, doing donuts in the snow. He was even set to star in a new unscripted series for Disney Plus this year called Renovations, where he would help communities around the world using his handyman skills and love for renovation. It's unclear now if this accident will put those plans on hold. Now, we do know that Renner was the only one involved in the accident. And guys, we are told his family is at his side as he's recovering. Back to you. Oh, just awful. Prayers up for Jeremy Renner. Kristen, thanks. Absolutely. All right, let's get another check of the weather with Dylan. Good morning. Let's talk about the warm-up we are going to see across the country. We're actually going to see temperatures about 25 degrees above average. St. Louis, uh, 66 degrees for a high today, matching that in Oklahoma City. Milwaukee's on the cooler side at 39 degrees, but you can see out ahead of it, Nashville, 71. That'll feel real nice. Tomorrow looks real mild in Chicago, St. Louis, Cincinnati. will be up into the 60s. Syracuse, 59. Philly, 60 degrees for a high temperature. We'll likely break records or at least come close to them um, in parts of the Northeast as we get to Wednesday. New York City, 62 degrees, 68 in Washington, D.C., but then the temperatures tumble. Chicago's back down below freezing by Thursday. Cincinnati's in the 30s uh, for Thursday and Friday, and Washington drops back down to 43 for Friday. So it's short-lived, but at least we'll get it nonetheless. And that's your latest forecast. All right, thank you, Dylan. Up next, for many, football and beer go hand in Yes, hand. it does. But our Sam Brock visited one iconic NFL stadium where they're trying to foster a different atmosphere for some fans. He'll take us inside the game right after this. Something bad has happened to mom. Streaming now on Peacock. Joey Delaney, mother of four, has gone missing. From the author of Big Little Lies and Nine Perfect Strangers. She will come back. You think we're this, like, big happy family? I have a confession. Starring Oscar nominee Annette Bening, Sam Neill, Jake Lacey, and Allison Brie. Secrets will poison any family. And what you don't know can hurt you. Apples never fall. Streaming now only on Peacock. Hey guys, Willie Geist here, reminding you to check out the Sunday Sit-Down Podcast. On this week's episode, I get together with seven-time Grammy winner Casey Musgraves to talk about the inspiration for her new album, the process she uses to write those beautiful songs, and finding success 
while bucking convention in Nashville. You can get our conversation now for free wherever you download your podcasts. All right, we're back with our ongoing series, Inside the Game. For some football fans, whether they are watching from home or visiting a stadium, alcohol is part of the equation, let's be honest. (laughs) For sure, right? But for those who don't drink, the game day experience can be a little tricky. So that's why some NFL teams are rolling out more sections that support fans who wish to remain sober. NBC's Sam Brock has more on that as NBC News launches a week-long look at drinking in America. This is interesting. Sam, good morning. Very interesting. Chanel, guys, good morning. Look, nearly half the teams in the NFL have created services for families or individuals who want to enjoy the game day experience without alcohol. Miami is one of those franchises. The Dolphins have two sections here dedicated to no alcohol consumption at at all. But for the purposes of this story, we head to historic Lambeau Field in Green Bay, Wisconsin, spotlighting those benefiting from a first-of-its-kind program, Section Yellow. The Green Bay Packers Lambeau Field wouldn't be Lambeau without the tailgating, the brats, and the beer. It's a brewski. Now, the oldest franchise in the NFL is the first to try something groundbreaking. You want a sticker? Section Yellow, a first-of-its-kind sobriety station offering support and community for fans who don't drink. Section Yellow is not anything about abolishing or saying no to drinking. We just want to give a safe area for people that are sober. But this has expanded beyond what your expectations were? Immensely. The Detroit Motown miracle. Section Yellow was co-founded by recovering alcoholic John Plogaman, a lifetime Packers fan with the Shrine to match. He'd seen Fish fans embrace a similar sober supportive concept at concerts and help to export the idea to Green Bay. For newcomers, Section Yellow offers information. For members of the sober community, it offers friendship. Here's a snapshot into how it's going. Witness the joy of Ruth Farrow and Lexi Sokol, huge Packers fans. The two met a couple of hours before kickoff. After Ruth, who stopped drinking in 2019, posted on the Section Yellow Facebook page, I would love to go to the game tomorrow night. I'm sober and looking for a sober game buddy, preferably a gal. Lexi then responded, I'd totally go with you. Section Yellow provides that community. We can come together and conquer stuff and like meet strangers and go to Packer games. I get asked all the time, how do you have fun if you can't drink? Well, she knows exactly how to have fun when we don't drink. And we've been having a complete blast since we got here. The blast, courtesy of Plogaman and Section Yellow co-founder Thomas Doofman, who's also a certified counselor. We are in a stadium that holds up to 82,000 people and probably 80,000 of them are consuming some beverage that's got alcohol, so we want them to know they aren't alone. In the eyes of many, professional football and alcohol go hand in hand. For decades, beer commercials have focused on football fans, but increasingly, NFL teams are recognizing not all spectators imbibe. 14 teams have now either established alcohol-free seating sections in stadiums, or in the case of the Packers, a designated support station for fans who don't drink proud that we are able to kind of start this this initiative off and hoping that other teams will carry it on. The NFL says it wishes to be inclusive and supportive of all fans. We're about unifying and bringing people together and I think Section Yellow is an extremely positive example of that. John and Section Yellow followers hope that Section Yellow will soon be replicated on a larger scale up to and including the Super Bowl. Do you want to see this in more NFL stadiums around the country? Oh, absolutely. I think Section Yellow is 
probably one of the best things that happened for this environment. Taking the ball and running with it for sober fans everywhere. It is also notable where this is happening, guys, with the community surrounding Green Bay, ranking first, second, and third in the area, in the state, and also the country for binge drinking. As for the NFL, it's in the habit of sharing its best practices, and they certainly envision a circumstance where this takes off, not just at Lambeau, but at stadiums across the country, perhaps up to the Super Bowl one day as well, as it is clear the presence and the impact that this program has on those who are maintaining their sobriety and others who want to help them in the process. Guys, back to the Packers. Sense. No, absolutely. I think it'll catch on. And it's nice to not have the pressure. You exactly. know, you can go to a safe space. Yeah, and feel a lot better in the morning. As yeah, well. that's well, true, too. And they look like they're having a good time. <laughs> Sam, thanks, man. Thank you, Sam. All right, just had Rolling Stone's new list of the 200 greatest singers of all time and what some fans are calling a Titanic snub. Plus, our tribute to the legendary Barbara Walters from her start as a writer to becoming the first female co-host 